I am your lawyer, Patrick McGeehan. I am your best friend at your worst time. Good evening, my friends and followers. Thank you for coming and joining me. Today, we got a few updates related to our Monday case. Let's see, our Monday update case in which we discussed a, a custody case that went on in Miami-Dade County between an emergency room doctor who's on the front lines of treating this virus stuff and her ex-husband. If you remember, I the news was reporting that the judge entered an ex parte order. That means he did it without a hearing based on a sworn motion that was filed by the husband or ex-husband to suspend time sharing with the mother who is the, who is the emergency room doctor. The judge granted that motion and entered an order citing her, you know, basically that he has concerns for the welfare of the child, that the child could become infected because she's an emergency room doctor. Thankfully, expeditiously even, the third DCA stepped in and issued an order staying the lower court's order, the trial court's order. So basically that order is not effective until the DCA, the District Court of Appeals says so. So they get to go and exercise their time sharing as they were, which is a win for the doctor. Um, we kind of expected something like that to happen to the, for the DCA to jump in, given the times and circumstances. And basically the DCA, from what they're reporting on Channel 7 News, the DCA says that a suspension of time sharing cannot be based on coronavirus alone, which means you need more than that. You need to allege more than that, more of a detriment to the child. So the doctor is enjoying her time sharing once again. That's, that's our update on the Monday update, which was done on Monday. And the latest information we have is you can actually get divorced now in Miami-Dade County without ever going to a court hearing. The circuit has come up with a supplemental affidavit for remote uncontested dissolution of marriage. So your case has to be uncontested to use this. It could be uncontested, filed originally as uncontested, or it could be filed as contested and later becomes uncontested because you entered into a settlement agreement, which makes it uncontested if all the issues are resolved. And you fill out this affidavit, I would have it notarized. I'll put a link to it in the description down below when I edit this video. And you should be able to use this any place in the state of Florida. I know you can use it in Miami-Dade County, but other circuits, um, just check and make sure, but I will put it on there for your review so that you'll be able to use it if you choose to do so in the state of Florida. The one that came out from the circuit does not have, it requires a signature, but doesn't have a notarization block. Um, I would probably have this notarized before I filed it, just so you don't run into any problems. You have to, you have to swear that your case is uncontested. You have to submit to prove your residency. You have to submit a copy of your driver's license or voter's registration. You have to swear that your marriage is irretrievably broken. You lived in the state of Florida. You or your spouse lived in the state of Florida for at least six months prior to the filing of the petition for dissolution. And you have exchanged full and complete financial disclosure that you've reached a marital settlement agreement and that contains a parenting plan. If you have children, it has to have a parenting plan and have signed a described document freely and voluntarily. You're swearing to all this. This is why I think it should be notarized. 
The parenting, you have to swear that the parenting plan, if applicable, if you have children, is in the best interest of the children and there are no other children born of the marriage or expected during the marriage. You file that, the judge, the next step should be a judge should sign off on a final judgment and send it to you. With that plan, with this affidavit, you could file your case, you could file all of this together and you could be you could be divorced really quickly. The key thing is it has to be uncontested. So that's 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 the important thing for it. Otherwise, you just go through the whole contested process as it uh, as it pertains to a particular divorce. All right, now on to tonight's topic, and this is this is something I get a lot of questions about all the time, constantly. I always give the same advice: is when you're speaking to the police. And my standard advice is do not speak to the police. Nothing good can come from you speaking to the police. Let me make sure my audio is on. Um, but lots of bad things can come from speaking to the police. Now, I'm not talking about casual interactions where you see a policeman in the mall and you say, hello, how are you? I'm talking about investigatory stops, traffic stops, DUI stops, things like that. That is one sphere of it. The other sphere is, you know, when you're being interviewed or interrogated by the police and a major crime. Totally different world involved there. So let's go to the first one. The, uh, the investigatory stops, traffic stops, field contacts, DUI stops, um, you know, minor crime investigations, misdemeanor crime investigations, stuff like that. And I'll give you a few examples of cases that I've handled. When you're stopped by the police, the police are very well trained, especially down here in South Florida. When you're stopped by the police, their interaction with you is designed to elicit incriminating evidence. For example, let's say you're speeding. You're driving down the road, you're speeding, the police stop you. What is the first thing the policeman's usually going to ask you? Besides your driver's license, registration, and insurance, he's going to ask you, or she's going to ask you, do you know why I stopped? Make sure my that still says I'm on there. They're going to ask you, do you know why I stopped you? And that's a no win question. There is no right answer to that question. Because if you say, no, I don't know why I stopped you, the officer is going to write on his ticket for to remember in court. Driver had no idea that they were speeding, said he didn't know why I stopped. If you go, yeah, I know why you stopped me. I was speeding. Then he's going to write, driver admits that he was speeding. See where, see where you're at? You're in a jam there. And just let me check back on my, my YouTube here. I don't know if I'm, I think I got bounced off of YouTube. Am I still streaming on YouTube even? It says I'm streaming, so hopefully I am. Anyway, there, there's no there's no good answer to that question. It's better just to keep your mouth shut. And the, the police know if you say, "Listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discuss the reason or any aspects from the stop," they know what to do from that point on. Um, if you're stopped for DUI, DUI is another good example. Everything that the officer does from the time that he, even before he walks up to your car, before he walks up to your car, while you're driving, he's gonna be noting your driving pattern. 
they look for driving patterns that are consistent with impairment. Then they stop you. As soon as they walk up to your car, they're looking for, or they're trying to notice a smell of an alcoholic beverage, bloodshot eyes, slurred speech, and they're gonna engage you in speech. And they're gonna, when you respond, they're gonna notice whether you have slurred speech, whether there's a smell of an alcoholic beverage, whether you have bloodshot eyes. And the whole process they go through, they are gathering evidence to use against you and building their, their going from reasonable suspicion to the probable cause. Then when it comes down to, they offer you roadside tests. Everything on the roadside exercises or tests or whatever you call are to prove that you were impaired. There is no benefit to taking a roadside test. If they're gonna arrest you, they're gonna arrest you whether you take the roadside test or not, the roadside exercises or not. Usually at that point, they have a pretty good idea how you're gonna perform on those tests and what they're gonna end up doing. So you can, you can refuse those roadside exercises. They're not gonna do you any good. I, I can't think of a case that I've ever seen. I used to be a policeman before this. So I was very active in DUI enforcement. I can't remember a case or recall a case where anybody actually performed well enough on roadside exercises after I offered them to them that they actually confirmed to me or made me believe that they were not impaired. So there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing good that can come from the roadside exercises. Whatever process they go through, whether you do them or not, the next step they're gonna do is they're gonna ask you to submit to a breath sample. And here's where it gets sticky. In Florida, it is actually a crime to refuse, it's a misdemeanor crime to refuse to take a breath test. So if you refuse, just be aware that that refusal will lead or could lead to another misdemeanor charge. If you take the breath test, you know what the results are gonna be because you're the driver and you know what you were doing before you were out driving. So you have a good idea. So the breath test just confirms what they believe all along. If you're above a 0.08, you're impaired in Florida. So you get arrested for DUI. They offer you the breath test after they do the breath test, whether you refuse or not, they are gonna ask you a series of questions from a DUI test report. These are questions that are they've developed over time and it's to elicit additional information from you. It's to elicit incriminating information from you. And they're gonna read you your rights before they ask you those questions. And of course you have, as in all criminal investigations, you have a right to remain silent and invoke your right to counsel, but you have to affirmatively do it. You have to say, no, I don't wanna answer your questions. I wanna to speak to a lawyer. There's no penalty in the court system for refusing that and lawyering up per se, or requesting a lawyer. And they simply mark off, there's a box there that this is they requested a lawyer and then they go on to finishing the rest of the DUI test report. And then you get transported from whatever facility you're at for testing to the county jail. And then your case makes its way through the system. But everything that's conducted, everything that the officer does on a DUI stop is basically to elicit criminal information or elicit incriminating information from you. So you can see how it works along with traffic stops. Now, what if the police show up at your door? 
let's say they're investigating some type of crime, um, theft. Um, I had one case where they were investigating somebody that ran a home dentist office. So let's say the police show up at your door and they want to ask you questions about some criminal conduct that they believe you're involved in. That's the time not to speak to them. Nothing good can come from you speaking to them at that time because they're well trained in this. They know what they're doing and they're going to ask you pointed direct questions specifically for the purpose of incriminating yourself and building their probable cause. So, you know, they know what to do. You don't. They have more experience doing interviews and interrogations than you do, I'm sure. So do yourself a favor and just tell them, listen, I don't want to talk to you until I speak to my lawyer. They may him and ha a while, but if you stand firm, I guarantee you, you will come out better than if you decide to talk to them. Because I hammer, don't talk to the police, I hammer that all the time in my videos. If you look in my YouTube channel and the videos, there are a bunch of them that deal with talking to the police and not one of them say, yeah, go ahead and talk to the police. There's case examples of people who did talk to the police that it didn't work out well for them and case examples of people who actually refused to talk to the police and were never charged with crimes. And even better is when the police show up at your door, you get me on the phone and you call me and I've had that happen before where I've gone out to a house where the police wanna come in and search the house. They wanna ask the person questions. They've invoked their right to counsel. The police say, oh, I'm gonna get a search warrant. We tell them, go ahead and get a search warrant. And on this one case, we sat out there for four hours waiting for them to come back with their search warrant while they secured the house, put a perimeter around the house. The detective came back. He couldn't get a search warrant. Person was never charged. I had another case last year of somebody who was being investigated for theft. He lawyered up. He called me. He lawyered up as the police showed up at his door. Never heard from him again. So once again, nothing good can come from speaking to the police when you're the subject of a criminal investigation. So as everybody knows, you have a right to remain silent. Everybody knows that. It's on every TV show. It's one of the most common things that people know about the criminal justice system. However, coupled with that right to remain silent is the ability to remain silent. A lot of people do not have the ability to remain silent. And there's reasons for that. It goes back to how you're raised, your socialization, and how you dealt with authority figures. So think back when you were a kid and your mom said, okay, did you take cookies out of the cookie jar? Step number one, denial. When you can no longer deny it, partially admit. When you can no longer partially admit, you confess. Police are trained in interrogation and interviews. They know how to get you to confess. They bring the pressure, the psychological pressure, and you're socialized, you know, psychologically, when somebody accuses you of something, what's the first thing you do? No, it's not me. It wasn't me. I don't care if you have video, it wasn't me. That's where it starts getting bad because they'll start giving you the rope for you to hang yourself with. 
they'll start feeding you a little bit more information, a little bit more, a little bit more until you can no longer deny it. Then you start, you know, for example, you go, okay, yeah, I was there, but I didn't do anything. They bring a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more pressure. Next thing you know, okay, yeah, I did this, but I didn't want to. A little bit more, a little bit more. And the next thing you know, you've given them a full confession and you basically hung yourself. Plenty of people hang themselves when they think they're smarter than the cops and they can handle the interview and interrogation when they actually can't. Another way of a lot of my clients hang themselves is when they're in custody, when they're in the county jail, they get on the telephone. All those telephones are recorded. So they get on the telephone and as a human being, when something bad happens to you, think, think about your friends. When something you know tragic, bad, um, you know, a breakup happens, a divorce happens, something stressful, what's the first thing people do is they want to talk about it. They want to tell everybody that'll listen what's going on and what's happening. And let me just check in here because I am not seeing. Let me see. I can't see my rear computer screen. So let me check and see if I'm on. that'll listen. Okay, yeah, it's what's on. What's going on and what's happening. Okay, let's turn off the volume there. All right, very good. It is on the fact. Okay, so it goes, you know, it goes on and on and on. You, you can't, it's like the old saying goes, you can't beat people at their own game that they're very, very proficient in. And that's the danger when you try to match wits with the police in those situations. So you're better off just not talking to them. And they know if you refuse to talk to them, they can't go further. So that that's basically my advice on any contact with the police. Now the difference, there's a different world altogether when you come into major crime investigations. When you're dealing with sexual battery, homicide, robbery, arson, you know, all, all the serious offenses, it's going to be a lot different. They're not going to interview you at your house. They're not going to interview you in your car. They're going to take you down to the, the bureau, down to the homicide office, down the headquarters, wherever it is. They're going to put you in a little interview room. They're going to cuff you to the table or the bench, and then they're going to start their interrogation of you. In those cases, especially in homicide cases and sexual battery cases, there is so much psychological pressure on you that is applied to you that people crack, you know, sometimes it takes them a while, but people crack and they end up giving confession. The pressure that, that's put on people is so bad. Sometimes even people who didn't commit crimes confess to crimes just to make it stop. You can't beat the police at their own game. I worked, when I worked in homicide, I worked with guys that were professional interrogators. These guys, if, if they knew that you did the crime, they, they would take you in there and they would interrogate you and they would come out with a written confession from you, voluntarily and freely given, recorded, video recorded in the room, whatever. 
they, they would get it because they know how to do it. You cannot beat them at their own game. There is only one alternative to not being in that situation. Well, there's two. First, don't commit a crime. Number two is lawyer up, stand firm, always lawyer up. Your invocation of your right to counsel has to be clear. It has to be expressed. Yes, I want a lawyer. Every time they start to ask you a question, I want my lawyer. I want my lawyer. When they give you the rights waivers form to sign off on, make sure you sign the right side of it and you put on there, I am not speaking to you without my lawyer present. Otherwise, you're on your own and you're left to your own devices. And just remember, cops are professionals. They're very well trained, especially when it comes to major crime detectives, robbery detectives, especially robbery detectives, homicide detectives, sexual battery detectives are very, very good at what they do. Don't put yourself in that situation in the first place. And if you find yourself in that situation, you need to lawyer up right away. That's it for I have today. Let me see if we have any questions that came in. I'll look on the various platforms here. Let's see, let's go to TikTok first. That's where you answer, I'm in between. In between what, Jeff? Toronto man, hello, looking forward to today's live. You're there, buddy, thanks for coming in. Thanks everybody for coming in. LMG mounted and loaded, okay. Sounds like a sounds like an episode of Special Victims Unit, except it takes longer than an hour. Sometimes confessions run for hours and or inter interrogations run for hours and hours. What amount of money makes a bank heist worth it? No amount of money because then you're dealing with FBI agents and they're they're even worse than cops. What do you do for fun? Fishing. I do a lot of hiking. I do a lot of camping. Uh, I have a couple of diesel trucks that I work on all the time. But lately, I'm not doing anything because we're all locked down in, uh, in South Florida here. And additionally, they're talking about not opening schools for the rest of the year. All right, let me run through Instagram and see if I have anything. No questions on Instagram. I don't see anything on Facebook and we're good as far as Ellie Jean, you're still here. Yes, I am. Okay, we're good as far as YouTube goes. That's all I have today. Um, once again, let me know how you're doing with the lockdown. Feel free to DM me, email me, whatever. Um, we're all running out of things to do. I'm sure there's a bunch of other people that are getting bored just as, uh, just as much as I'm getting bored. But what I have found is practicing from home, doing the remote work, basically I can work anywhere, but I'm a whole lot more efficient. You know, I don't have the hour drive, the two hour drive to and from the office every day. I have more time that I can devote to working on cases, more efficient, getting more done than I've ever done um, in the last at least 10 years or so. So it's been very efficient. Let me know how you, um, how you are doing in the lockdown. Let me know if you've come up with any fun things to do, any innovative things to do, any new projects. You know, I'm, I'm taking webinars, I'm taking online classes, I'm learning new skills. Um, you know, I'm trying to build for a better future for when we come out of this and 
hopefully there'll be an explosion of everybody's happiness and we'll be going out to eat again. You know, we are all in this together. So just remember that if there's somebody in your neighborhood or your family you can help out, do that. The good karma will come back to you many times over. Uh, make sure you call your mama and your daddy if you're one of those lucky people that are fortunate enough to still have one or both of them around. You know, love your family, love your kids like you've never loved them before because this this thing is weird and I don't know what it's going to be like when we get done. Anyway, you can catch me on all the platforms. I'm the Magic City Lawyer on Instagram, on Snapchat and Tumblr and on TikTok. On Facebook, you can get me at my Facebook page, my business page, the Law Office of Patrick McGeehan, as well as my Facebook group ask a Florida divorce lawyer and it's a private group. You can join it, request to join it. I'll approve you and you get in there. And that's where people get to ask me like really direct questions about their specific cases. And if I can help them, I'm always happy to do that. Um, you can DM me on <coughs> any of those platforms. I'm usually on them at least once a day so I can get back to DMs. Sometimes over the weekends, I get a little tied up and somebody DMs me on a Friday. I don't get back until to them until Monday. And you can always email me, Patrick at pjmlawyer.com. One click, one quick review. What do you do for fun? Have you ever dealt with customers who are arrested by the FBI? Yes, I have. I've done many federal cases and um, federal cases are always difficult. I mean, if you have a preferred, you have a preferred crime to get arrested for, get arrested for a state crime and not a federal crime because dealing with federal cases is a lot more difficult. And the absolute worst case or worst charge to ever get criminally, worst criminal thing you could be charged with is sexual battery. Sexual battery cases are extremely, exceedingly difficult. Now, I guess the worst is homicide, but after that, sexual battery. But number one, number one advice, don't commit crime. Number two advice, don't speak to the police. And that always stands as true. Thank you very much for everybody that checked in on all the different platforms. I'm very humbled to the people who check in and ask questions. Thanks for participating. You can find me here every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And next week's topic, I'm not sure. I'll come up with something probably over the weekend. And I'm getting some people lined up. I have an insurance agent, a portfolio manager, a doctor, and a lawyer who does um, workers comp as related to the coronavirus. So I have those guests that are booking for the live and I'll put them in on the live. I'll do a pre-recorded interview with them and attach that to the back of the live. So we have those to look forward to. I don't know the exact dates they're coming in yet, but it will be soon. Thanks for coming in. Hope you're doing well. The adjustment for me is crazy. My sleep patterns are crazy. I'm sure everybody, somebody else, a lot of people have the same problems. Remember, we're all in this together. Thanks for checking in and good night.